Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 1 for our scripture reading this morning. While you're turning, just a, a word of explanation about uh, the end of the message time this morning. Normally what we do is we, have a, we close in prayer, and uh, after the message, we close in prayer, and then we sing a hymn together, stand and sing a hymn together. Well, this morning what we're going to do is a little different. After the message and the prayer, uh, Alice uh, Brill is just going to simply play the uh, hymn in our so song supplement book, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. If you want, you can look that up and read the lyrics while she's playing. And um, what I'd like you to do is after, when she starts playing, just, just stop and think and reflect on what you've heard in the message uh, while she's playing, the, the deacons are going to prepare to come for uh, you know, serving the Lord's table and so forth. But just, just reflect on that. Reflect on the message. Maybe in the first stanza or two of, as she plays. Reflect on the, um, the glory of God's grace as it's manifested in our inheritance. Think on that. And then on the third stanza, perhaps allow your mind to shift to reflecting on what Christ has done for us on the cross, preparing our hearts for the Lord's table. And then we will just move right into our um, <clears throat> remembering that work on the cross at the Lord's table. So Ephesians chapter 1, I want to read verses, <clears throat> this long sentence of Paul's. We've, we've read it, this will be the third time now, uh, but uh, that's okay, it's a good sentence. Beginning in verse 3, he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. In love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Our Father and our God, I pray that you would encourage our hearts and thrill us with the truth of our inheritance today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Josh was a 17-year-old boy who was quite shocked after his grandfather passed away. His grandfather's name was Samuel, 
after his grandfather passed away in 2007. The shocking thing was that he hadn't seen his grandfather in a few years, and uh, there was a little bit of an estrangement between Josh's grandfather, Samuel, and his mother, Josh's mother. Um, Apparently, Samuel didn't approve of his mother's marriage 18 years earlier, and so there was a distance there between father and daughter. But Samuel always had a soft spot in his heart for Josh, because Josh was his only child, his only grandchild, I should say. So the shocking thing was that after the grandfather died and they read the will, Samuel left his entire estate to 17-year-old Josh. And that estate consisted of uh, like a 36-acre island as well as more than 80 acres of farmland. But there was more as they went through the will. Uh, The grandfather detailed uh, a whole bunch of uh, really very, uh, very priceless, uh, very costly pieces of jewelry, antique jewelry, and a whole bunch of gems, gemstones. And uh, the grandfather said, you will find them in the thermos. But there was no mention of where the thermos was. So the only thing they could figure was uh, Josh's mother said she remembered as a child her father often talking about his treasure island. So they figured that thermos has got to be somewhere on that 36-acre island. And so the hunt began. Now, as of the writing of this story, the thermos had not yet been found. What a surprise that he was named uh, as the one who would inherit all of this grand estate. (laughs) What a further surprise to find out that to get all of it, he's going to have to do a lot of digging and looking around. Now, what's that got to do with our text today? Well, as Paul nears the end of this lengthy sentence that he's been writing here in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul does not want us to be at all surprised that we are going to receive an inheritance. He wants us to know that we have an inheritance. It is coming. He also wants to make it clear that there isn't anything you're going to have to do to get any of that inheritance. So again, in this lengthy sentence, I want to remind you, as we've, we've mentioned already twice before, that the main idea of this extended sentence is found at the beginning of the sentence, and that is we are to bless God, we are to praise, we are to extol, we are to honor Him through humble, joyous gratitude. We are to bless God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to do that. We are to honor him. We are to praise him. We are to worship him. We are to extol him. Why? The end of verse 3 tells us in general why. Because he has blessed us with spiritual blessings in heavenly places. The rest of the sentence elaborates and expands upon that reason of the blessings that we have received for which we should turn around and bless God and praise, extol, honor Him. Those blessings uh, in verses 3 through 14 uh, could generally be divided into three three different ways. There is, first of all, 
the blessing, the gracious blessing. And all of these are related to God's grace. God's grace. We want to see the glory of God's grace in these blessings. The grace of his decree of election in verses 3 through 6. That is, God determined before time began who would be his children. That is, his, he chose them. He chose us before the beginning of time. And that is our salvation before time, as it was determined. And then in verses 7 through 10, uh, there is the blessing of the gracious work of redemption, that's salvation secured in time and, play, time and space as God became flesh and dwelt among us. And then Jesus redeemed us with his own blood on the cross, the gracious work of redemption. And then finally, in verses 11 through 14, we have the blessing of the gracious gift of an eternal inheritance. That is, our salvation as it is fulfilled in time to come here in verses 11 to 14. So we've looked at the first two of those great blessings. And so this morning in verses 11 to 14, I want you to see the glory of God's grace as it's manifested in the divine gift of our eternal inheritance. And seeing that, seeing that grace as it's manifested in our divine inheritance, I want to encourage you to respond with humble and grateful praise, as this, the beginning of this sentence calls us to do. So first of all, see the, see the glory of God's grace in the identity of the heirs, the identity of the heirs. God didn't wait for eternity uh, future, some point in eternity future, for, a sit, for, for everybody to sit down for the reading of the will to find out who is going to be in that will, who is going to inherit. He, he tells us here, who are the heirs? Verse 11 begins saying, in whom, we, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Who is the we? Well, on the one hand, you might say it's taking us back to uh, verse 13 where he says God has chosen us in him. Verse 5, he's predestinated us. In verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. But it's a little narrower here in verse 11 because the sentence in verse 11 carries on into verse 12 where he says, in whom we have obtained an inheritance. And then look at the end of verse 12. We who first trusted in Christ. And who he's talking about here is the is uh, the Jews, but not the Jews as an entire nation, but specifically believing Jews. This would be a remnant of the Jewish people. Paul speaks of the believing Jews who comprise this remnant in Romans chapter 9, where he quotes Isaiah. Verse 27, he says, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. And verse, 11, verse 5 of chapter 11 in Romans, Paul says even further, he says, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant of Israel, a remnant chosen by grace. So here back in our text in Ephesians chapter 1, the, the heirs are first of all, 
believing Jews, those who are of the Jewish race, if you will, who have hoped in Christ. And I should clarify that at the end of verse 12, the word that's translated in the King James as trusted would be better translated hoped in Christ. It's actually a completely different Greek word that we normally would translate trust. They first hoped in Christ. So he's talking about that remnant of Jews throughout Jewish history up to the present time who have hoped for, looked forward to, in faith, believing in the coming of Messiah. And then when he came, they believed in him, Jesus, as their Messiah. They put their trust in him as their Messiah. So believing Jews comprise the heirs of this inheritance, but not only them. Because look what he says at the beginning of verse 13. He says, in whom you also, and then you've got that italicized word, trusted, or you could say, in whom you also hoped, after that you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and he goes on to talk in verse 14 about you also receiving this inheritance. So now in verse 13, he's talking about us, non-Jews, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, believing Gentiles, in other words. We who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah who has come, the Jewish Messiah who has come, not just to redeem Jews, but to redeem from every tribe and, and tongue and kindred of the earth. This Jesus who has come, we've heard that gospel, and we've received that gospel as the truth, you see in verse 13. You also hoped in Christ after you heard the word of the truth, you heard that gospel and you recognized it, you received it as the truth. And interestingly, in the Greek language, the definite article occurs before the word truth. And what does that mean? And it, it, what that means is that there's not a truth over here regarding uh, getting to heaven, if you will, or another truth over here regarding another way of getting to heaven, if you will. But there is the truth. You have heard the word of the truth. There is only one truth. As Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You heard the word of the truth, and you believed that gospel message. And it says, uh, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. You put your faith in, your trust and dependence upon that gospel, that Christ of the gospel. So the heirs of this inheritance are uh, believing Jews, a remnant of the Jewish, uh, of the Jewish people, as well as believing Gentiles. Now, we could truly lump them all together because earlier in this sentence, Paul did just that when he talks about believing Jews and believing Gentiles as those in verse 4 whom God has chosen before the foundation, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. In verse 5, as those whom he has predestinated unto the adoption of children, of sons. And in verse 7, as those whom he has redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And in verse 9, those who, to whom God has made known the mystery of the gospel. And again, I want to remind you of that in verse 9. 
that those who God has chosen, whom he has predestinated as children, and whom he has redeemed through his blood, God made known to them the mystery of his will. These are the heirs. These are the heirs. So when we get down to verse 11, when he says, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, what he's saying is, in addition to all of these expressions of God's grace, his gracious election, his gracious uh, predestination to adoption, his gracious redemption, in addition to all of these expressions of his grace, there is this expression of grace also, we have obtained an inheritance. These are the heirs. I want you to see the glory of God's grace in the heirs, the identity of the heirs of this inheritance. Secondly, I want you to see the glory of God's grace in the nature of your inheritance, the nature of your inheritance. As we've pointed out, this is a continuation of a sentence that begins in verse 3, and verse 3 controls this entire sentence. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with spiritual blessings. Your inheritance is a spiritual blessing. Now, what that, what that means, what that doesn't mean, and what it's not referring to, is um, spiritual as opposed to the physical blessings that we enjoy every day, like food on our table, good health, or whatever. Rather, it's the idea of the spiritual blessing is a blessing that that is due to nothing other than the work of God. It, it is a blessing that is ours due to nothing that any human being has set up or accomplished. So, so in other words, when you think of an inheritance, we go back to Samuel, the grandfather who died and left his inheritance to Joshua, his son. That inheritance that Joshua received was an inheritance that he received as a, not a spiritual blessing, but a human blessing, a physical blessing, a blessing that his grandfather orchestrated. His grandfather did that. His grandfather set that thing up. But the inheritance that you and I are to experience, that we have in Christ Jesus, is a spiritual blessing in the sense that it is something that that God in Christ alone set up for us. Let me show you this in, he, in Hebrews chapter 9. Turn there with me if you would. Hebrews chapter 9 and verses 15 and 16. Keep a marker here in Ephesians 1. But in Hebrews 9, verse 15 says, for this cause, Christ is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament. All right, now, now notice here, you've got this idea of redemption. Redeemed by the blood of the, of the Lamb. We've heard about that in Ephesians 1, right? Okay, so... By means of this death, the redemption of the transgressions, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also be of necessity the death of the testator. This is all the work of God. 
This is all that which he has orchestrated, which he has accomplished. So it's not due to anything at all from what a, a man has done. It's a spiritual blessing. This is the nature of our inheritance. It is, furthermore, a heavenly blessing. Again, back in verse 3, he's blessed us with spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, in heavenly places, a heavenly blessing. Peter writes of that inheritance, that heavenly inheritance in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, when he writes this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sound familiar? But he goes on. According to his great mercy, he has, listen to this, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's a heavenly inheritance. And then it's a Christ-centered inheritance, a Christ-centered inheritance. So in verse 11, Ephesians 1, verse 11, he says, in whom, in whom we have obtained this inheritance. In whom? Well, in whom have we obtained this inheritance? You have to follow these uh, reflexive pronouns around, don't you? You have to follow this one back. In whom we have obtained an inheritance. So you've got to look before that. Well, who, what's right before that? In him. In whom we've ab- obtained this inheritance. Well, in whom? In him. Well, who's the him? Well, you've got to go back a little further. God has, uh, has done all this that he might gather together in one all things in Christ. In Christ, both which are in heaven. Even in him, in Christ, in whom we have obtained an inheritance. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. This is a Christ-centered inheritance. It's a Christ-centered blessing. And it is our blessing in Christ because of our union with Christ. Again, Paul helps us out here in in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, he wrote this. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So because of our union with Christ, because of our union with Christ, we have this inheritance we have it in Him. Let me take this a step further and, and really stretch our minds a little bit to grapple with the, the idea that uh, Ian Hamilton, his commentary on Ephesians, declares when he says, this inheritance, this heavenly inheritance that is ours in Christ, this Christ-centered heavenly inheritance is Christ. The inheritance is Christ. Listen to what Hamilton says. He says, we need to understand that our blood-bought inheritance is not at heart a collection of blessings, even the glorious blessings so wonderfully described in verses 3 through 10. Our inheritance in Christ is in Christ because He is our inheritance. We must never attempt to separate Christ from his blessings and benefits. He is our salvation, 
just as he is our peace, according to Ephesians 2.14. And he is our wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, 1 Corinthians 1.30. God in Christ is the believer's inheritance. This is the incalculable and unfathomable inheritance that God gifts to us when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our inheritance is Christ. Thirdly, I want you to see the glory of God's grace in the reality of your inheritance, in the reality of it. Verse 11 tells us that this inheritance is already ours. There's an, there's an already and a not yet aspect of our inheritance. You see this in verse 11? He says, we have obtained an inheritance. We could think of it this way. You are, you are named in the will, and that naming of you in the will has been disclosed to you. You don't always necessarily know that, do you? Josh didn't know it, that he was named in his grandfather's will. I wonder, we don't need to raise our hands, but I wonder if there's anybody here who was uh, surprised when a loved one had passed away, maybe a distant relative, and they named you in their will, and you didn't know anything about it. Well, you've been named in the will, and that's been disclosed to you. And so this inheritance is already yours by virtue of your being named in the will. So look, look back at verse 5. God in eternity past named you in the will when he chose you and then predestinated you unto the adoption of children. And here's the thing, and I, we, we pointed this out when we were looking at that verse a few weeks ago, that even in the, in the understanding of the world at that time when Paul was writing this, and this is what the Ephesians would have understood, that to be adopted into a family meant that the adopted child was put on par, on legal par with the birth children in that family in terms of the inheritance of that family. So just by virtue of being in the family, by being adopted in the family, the inheritance is yours. John writes, remember, in John 1, verses 12 and 13. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, name of Jesus, that is, he gave the right to be called the children of God. He gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. So you believed in Christ because God in his grace birthed you and that gave you the right to be a child of God's and being a child of God's, even by adoption, gives you full rights to the inheritance. The inheritance is already yours. And that will in which you are named, it will not, nor can it be, altered, ever. Remember, again, what we read earlier in 1 Peter 1 and verse 4. You are, you are 
an heir to this inheritance that is imperishable, it is undefiled, it is unfading, and it is kept, it is reserved, it is guarded, it is preserved in heaven for you. That will cannot, will not be altered. That's not always true with uh, the will of man, is it? You write out a will, a testament, you can come back later as long as you're in sound mind and you can change that as many times as you want to change it. This one will not be changed. It's already yours. And yet, it is yet to be fully executed. So verse 14, for example, says that the Spirit of God is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. There is a future aspect of this inheritance that we are yet to receive, the the redemption of the purchased possession. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, when he says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as uh, as we eagerly await the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So you get the already and not yet aspect of that too, right? You've been predestinated into the family, as ado- adopted as children, and, and you are in the family. As many as received him, God gives you the right to be his children. You are, you are in the family. You are adopted in the family. But we're waiting for something. We're waiting for the fulfillment of it all. We're waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, even the redemption of our bodies. And why are we waiting for that? How do we know we're waiting for that? What aspect are we waiting for that? Does anybody have any aches this morning? You got out of bed this morning? Was it a little yeah, difficult? And when you went to stand up, you would oh, man, I just got to push myself up off the bed or pull myself up in some way. And And even this morning, while you're sitting where you're sitting, maybe some of you have an aching back because of the hard pews, because of the weakness of the body. You are groaning. You who are Christ, you are groaning for the not yet aspect of your inheritance to be fulfilled where you you will experience the redemption of your body. Oh, but there's more than that that we're waiting for when this will is fully executed. John writes of it in 1 John 3 when he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. This is what we are. We are the children of God. We are heirs. We have an inheritance. But he goes on to say, beloved, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He, Christ, appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. This is what we're looking forward to. This is the the culmination. This is the inheritance fully realized. When we see Christ and we are like Him, fully become like Him our elder brother. This is the reality of your inheritance. There's an already and a not yet aspect of this. Oh, see the glory of God's grace in the reality of your inheritance. And then 
Fourthly, see the glory of God's grace in the basis of your inheritance. You see this at the end of verse 11. Let me just read it, and then we'll have to unpack it a little bit. He says, he has, uh, we've obtained this, inher- uh, this inheritance, being predestinated unto this inheritance, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. All right? That tells us what the basis of our inheritance is. The basis of our inheritance has nothing to do with us. You know, sometimes, sometimes um, a person will sit down and he's making up his will and he'll think through his family and think, who, who, who is worthy? Who is worthy to be in my will? And he makes up the will and he does so accordingly. So-and-so has been more faithful, so-and-so has been, you know, you know da, 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 da. and so he makes up the will. After he makes up the will, maybe one of the intended heirs messes up, says something, does something that the dad doesn't like. So he says, goes back to his attorney, he says, pull out my will. Pulls it up on the computer. He says, you see that line in there where so-and-so was supposed to get 25% of my estate? Yep. Scratch it. Take that 25%, divide it among the other three. Get them off of there. Why? Well, because of this is what he's done. Look, this, that's not what's going on here. What, what's going, what is the basis of your inheritance? It's, it's spelled out here in verse, the last part of verse 11. And we could put it like this. We could summarize it like this, and then I'll break it down. God has a plan. And that plan, namely, is that all of his children will obtain an eternal inheritance. And that plan that God has, he will fulfill it. All right, now notice, it is solely, completely his plan. Uh, Verse 11 tells us, right in the middle of the verse, that it is, in the King James, it's translated this way, according to the purpose of him. It could be translated like this, according to his plan, he has predestinated, we have this inheritance being predestinated according to his plan. It's his plan. It's solely up to him. It's solely at his discretion. We could put it this way. It is solely due to, listen, get this, don't miss it. It is solely due to his grace. See the glory of God's grace in your inheritance. He devised this plan. This is done according to his plan. And this plan is accomplished according to or by his superior power. Look at our verse as it continues, our sentence as it continues. He works all things. He works all things. And you'll notice that there's no caveats after that. There are no exceptions after that. There's there's no sentence that goes something like this. He works all things, parentheses, provided nobody does anything that uh, throws him a curve, that surprises him, that he couldn't anticipate. No, he works all things. All things means It encompasses all of his creation. What he works encompasses all of his creation. And that he works 
all things means that God, in his superior power, controls and orchestrates every detail of his creation. And I know that that causes us all kinds of problems, doesn't it? Because we look back even at the last week and we can think of tragedies and heartaches and difficulties. And we can look forward to this coming week and we can think of a little, of a little baby boy who has to have an open-heart surgery. And we, we have, you know, God is, God is working in this? This somehow God is, God is sovereignly over this and in control of this and orchestrating this? How? How could he do this? And the only answer to that question is going back to what Paul writes in the book of Romans. Who are you to ask? Or as God asked Job, were you there when I made this? Can you do anything about that? Uh, this is beyond the scope of our comprehension. We have to accept that by faith and understand that, but, but the reality is your inheritance, the basis of your inheritance is dependent upon the superior power of God who works all things according to his plan. And then I want you to notice that this plan that he, he works all things according to is designed by his wisdom. Because it says he works all things after the counsel of his own will. The counsel of his own will. Or another way of putting it is he works all things according to the intention of his will. In other words, in, the, in the, this incredibly vast, deep wisdom of God, Everything is precisely tuned to his intended end or purpose. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. I can't fathom that. What wisdom. But isn't that why Paul says what he does at the end of Romans chapter 11? You remember that? Oh, the... I want to be sure I get this right because it is, it's just a, he's, just, he's just been dealing with this whole thing of election and so forth with Israel. And he comes to the conclusion, he says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. It's designed by his wisdom. And then I would note, have you note that the basis of your inheritance, within the basis of your inheritance, all of this is determined by his sovereignty. Again, in verse 11, he says, being predestinated. Predestinated. And remember back up in verses 4 and 5, he chose us before the foundation of the world, having predestinated us unto the adoption of sons. And that predestination unto the adoption of sons includes the predestination unto this inheritance. All of that before the, <laughs> before the foundation of the world. Before there was an amoeba. Before there was a, a speck of matter. Before time began. 
God in his sovereignty determined that you would have this eternal inheritance. To try to help us put it, wrap our heads around this, let me give you a couple of quotes. One from a commentator named Benjamin Merkel. He wrote this. He says, This was not a reckless, ill-conceived plan, but was done according to his purpose, counsel, and will. It was a carefully considered plan carried out by his sovereign control of the universe, the one who is sovereignly in control of the universe in all of its expansiveness, in its immeasurable expansiveness, is controlling your individual personal inheritance, eternal inheritance. And Calvin, Calvin writes this, he says, Paul speaks of God as the sole agent and as doing everything according to his own will so as to leave nothing to be done by man. In no respect, therefore, are men admitted to share in this praise as if they brought anything of their own. God looks at nothing out of himself to elect them, for the counsel of his own will is the only and actual cause of their election and their adoption and their redemption and their inheritance. Fifthly, I want you to see the glory of God's grace in the certainty of your inheritance. The last part of verses 13 and 14 There are two ways you can know that this inheritance is sure, it's certain. One is that you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's part of verse 13 says, In whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And what that simply means is that God, in sealing you with the Holy Spirit, He is like putting His stamp of authentication, of genuineness, that you are truly His child, Just like if you were to adopt a child, you'd have to go through the proper procedures and proceedings in court, and and then you would go to a hearing, and the judge would finally say, you know, in essence, okay, this child is now yours. This child is, you have all the responsibilities, but the the child has all the privileges and and, uh, uh, so forth, rights as your child, and, and so forth, and he signs it, seals it. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and that authenticates you as truly and genuinely His. But it does more. That seal also secures you for Himself forever. It's like you're not going to undo, cut up that adoption certificate uh, that is signed by the judge. You're sealed. And you've also not only been sealed by God, but you have been guaranteed the full inheritance. This same Holy Spirit with whom you've been sealed is the earnest, the King James puts it, the earnest of our inheritance, the first part of verse 14. That word earnest means a guarantee, a down payment. It's like the initial payments that you make that guarantees you're going to make all the payments yet to come. And the Holy Spirit is given to you as a down payment, an a guarantee that that full inheritance is going to be given. See the glory of God's grace in the certainty of your inheritance. And then lastly and finally, 
see the glory of God's grace in the reason for that inheritance. In the last part, in the first part of verse 12, Paul says God is giving us this and he's given us this inheritance that we should, that we, look at this, that we should be to the praise of his glory. What that means is there's going to be, there, there are spectators who are seeing all of this that takes place with those whom God has chosen and, uh, and predestined to adoption and redeemed and given an inheritance. There are those who are observing all of this and they will praise God for it. That's exactly what we find in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. You have this scene at the throne when the, the lamb is given the scroll and can open its seals, and these elders sing a song, and they say, Worthy are you to the lamb. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You see what's happening? These elders in the scene in heaven are bringing glory to God, bringing glory to the Lamb for all of this work of redemption from your being chosen to your receiving an inheritance, they're glorifying God. Why? Why do you receive this inheritance? Not so that you might enjoy a carefree eternity. That's not the primary reason. The reason that you are receiving this inheritance is that God might be glorified in you, and furthermore, that you might then glorify God as well, that you might render praise to Him. You see this at the end of verse 14. He just simply calls out, under the praise of His glory, that we should render praise for His glorious grace. All right, look, listen. You've been chosen by the grace of God. You've been chosen and predestinated to be an adopted child of God and to obtain an eternal inheritance. Listen, not primarily that you might enjoy a blissful life forevermore, but that you might worship forevermore the triune God of grace. You might worship God the Father who graciously chose you. God the Son who graciously redeemed you. God the Spirit who graciously sealed you. That you might forever worship this triune God. But you might ask, how can I know I'm going to receive this inheritance? That God has graciously chosen me to be one of his adopted children. How can I know this? The answer, have you heard the mystery of the truth? Have you received that as truth? I'm talking about the gospel. Have you received that gospel as true? Have you wholly believed the gospel of God's grace in Christ Jesus? Seeing yourself as a wretched sinner that is unworthy of any good thing from God, 
but seen the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ as he sent this, his son to die on a cross to have his body broken, his blood shed for your sins, to redeem you from your sins. Have you seen this as true and received this as true? And then have you, in repentant faith, called upon this Savior to save you? I say, yes, I have. The inheritance is yours. You are chosen. You have been adopted. You are predestinated unto this inheritance. If you have not yet, if you have not yet put your faith and trust in this one whose body was broken and blood shed on a cross for your sins, then listen, my friend, turn from your sin and yourself and trust in him wholly and completely today. Trust in him today inheritance might be yours. Our Father and our God, what wondrous grace is this. What love is this. We thank you and praise you, O God, that you in your grace in eternity past, would look down in the corridors of time and you would choose wretched, unworthy sinners to be your children and to grant them an eternal inheritance. How deep is this love that you have for us? Bless these thoughts to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.